Hi there, my name is Adam Waters, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to take us along with you this week on life's journey. Here at Grace Bible Church, we are a family of faith who seeks forgiveness, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Now, we might all come from different backgrounds, but each of us recognize that the tremendous needs in our lives point us to one place, to God, for His answers, His provision, and mostly for His grace. I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. So maybe you've heard this word before. The word is sacrament. Sacrament is something that we often talk about as something, a piece, a token, some sort of physical object or some sort of demonstration, an act that in and of itself is intended to carry, um, intended to, we're not in Philippians 3.17, by the way, it just got me distracted, that is, in, <laughs> that is intended to carry grace or be the means by which we are sanctified, okay? Now there's controversy, as there always is, over what is a sacrament. Does the sacrament exist? How many sacraments are there? And we could talk about it forever, and we'll probably never come to a final solution. But this is the point that I want to make today about the idea of sacrament, is that there are indeed situations in our life, there are things that we go through, there are actions that we take that do, that God does indeed use to grow us in Christ-likeness, to grow us in holiness, One of them, I heard this recently, I think it's so amazing, and more I think about it, is the sacrament of suffering. You never would have thought of that. You think of sacrament as communion, you think of sacrament as baptism, or any of the other ones, but a sacrament of suffering? That God uses our suffering to make us more like Christ is a truth that's found in the Bible, but often forgotten on the ground, often forgotten when we're in the midst of our struggles, our trials, our difficulties. So what does this mean for us? It's easy to say it, but what does this mean for how we struggle here on earth? Where are you struggling? Where are you suffering? Because I'm positive that there is a place in your life, in your heart, in your mind that you in this moment are suffering, that you are struggling, that there doesn't seem to be an answer that the future looks painful and scary. But we need to learn to adjust our mind and our worldview to that which the Bible says, that which God has declared. So our struggles and trials and difficulties need to be reframed. That we would not lose hope when things get tough, that we would consider trials in the light of how God sees them, what God's purpose is for them, and what God's purpose is in us through them. So today we're in Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. Paul has just laid out in the first four chapters of the book of Romans a theological discussion, really a treatise as close as it could come to, that talks about how righteousness, our, our rightness, our declared as not guilty before God is given to us is counted to us because of what Christ has done. We do nothing to earn it. It's simply our faith. We are made righteous by trusting the one who is righteous in our stead. Michael said the great exchange. 
Our sin for Christ's righteousness, Christ's righteousness for our sin. Paul says we needn't struggle anymore, therefore, for that which we could never obtain on our own. It's a gift of God given in love. And then Paul moves it to this discussion this morning, hope. Hope. In this passage, you'll see there's four dimensions. Four dimensions of biblical hope that must be held together in intention if we are to suffer well, grow in holiness, and to utilize our struggles as a sacrament of growing into the likeness of Christ. So the first dimension this morning of biblical hope is oriented in the past, that is the cross. The cross. Verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of glory. Because of what Christ did on the cross 2,000 years ago, we stand, those who trust in that sacrifice, as forgiven people. For the sins that we committed prior to the day that we accepted the Lord as our Savior. For the sins that we're struggling with now. And for the sure disobedience that we will demonstrate in the future. Hebrews says that Christ once and for all died for sin. That out of God's great love for us. You see, it's a settled reality. So often in life, we think, um, we make judgments and determinations about things that are going on in the spiritual world or in our hearts based on how we feel. We look at circumstances based on what it seems like to us in the moment. Instead of applying the truth of God's word and understanding it, embracing it as a settled fact in time. If you were to ask yourself, do you feel forgiven? Many of us, I think, would say no. We carry along with us this sense of shame. We carry along with us this sense of dirtiness. Even when we strive moment by moment in order to live a life that is good and clean and pure in the power of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit in us. So how do I know then that I'm forgiven? How is it that I can be sure? It's because of the settled reality that occurred on a hill in Israel 2,000 years ago, the cross. Because Christ died in our stead and we access that through our faith. What's been done is done. We can stand firm. We can stand firm. We can know where we're going. We no longer have to strive to justify ourselves, to live a good, clean, pure life in order to make God happy enough with us to save us. We know that that is not enough. And it never will be Christ once and for all did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Not only forgiveness, we have peace with God. No longer enemies against God, no longer at enmity. We're no longer under condemnation, as Romans 8 says. We have peace. The cessation of hostilities. But there's more. Not only has this enmity, this This opposition that resides in our heart against God been eliminated by what Christ did on the cross. But we also now have friendship and access to God. This is what Paul says. Through him, we have peace and access. 
We can come boldly, as Michael was saying, what it says in Hebrews, like a lion into the throne of grace to find help and grace in just the time we need it. We possess a friendship with God because of what the cross has done. Christ purchased our access and he advocates before the Father even now. When we sin, when we fail, we know that Christ is next to the Father because of what Christ has done on the cross, saying, I paid for that. That's one I died for. Indeed, he died for them all. Now we can barge into the throne room. We can come into the throne room when we're struggling, when we're sick, when life is hard, when we're suffering and we need the endurance, when we need a word from God, when we need the grace to embolden us to go another day. We needn't be afraid. We needn't say, God isn't there. I need to find it elsewhere. The Father says, come. Christ says, come. I have everything you need. I will walk with you through this. I will give you the power that you need to do and suffer well. I will give you the grace to see the truth. Trust me. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says, so since we have a high, such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus knows exactly what we're going through. There's nothing that Jesus has not endured but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. He endured it all. And that is the life that is imputed, given to us by faith because of the cross. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. When we come to the Father in our suffering, we find hope. We can look back at the cross and say, Christ died in my stead, that this suffering is for a moment, but I know that my future is secure because of what Christ has done. Because Christ has endured, had endured everything that was mine, that was ours. I no longer need to worry about that. I no longer need to be driven by this need to justify myself. I'm no longer alone. I now have access to God. And God in his Goodness and his love for us has given us the power through the Holy Spirit to endure the most difficult suffering. So the cross, past dimension. The future dimension, so the second dimension, is future-oriented. This is God's glory. Not only do we look back at the cross and what Christ has done, settled once and for all in history, but we look forward to what Christ will do in the future. Paul says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We stand in celebratory thanksgiving with the eyes of our heart focused on that day. We will stand with confident expectation that God will be glorified. The victory that he won in Christ on the cross will be made manifest on that day that we will stand one day and look to God and Christ as our Savior, and we're going to say, oh, I see, you're right. All those injustices that we've endured, all the injustice that we've given to others, one day will be made right in Christ. When God is glorified in that day, when our Lord and Savior stands, 
The promise that God will be glorified should comfort us. It should reassure us. Why? Because it's proof that our struggles will not go on forever. The obstacles we face will not always be present. The difficult people with whom we interact, who are set against the gospel of Christ and set against God's people, they will not have the last say. You read through the book of Psalms again and again. The psalmist writes, Lord, that day, look at these people. Look what they're doing, but I'm going to trust in you. We, too, have reason to hope that we will stand before the throne and that everything that is wrong, broken in this world will be righted and fixed. Not only do we have confident expectation that God in all his glory will be made manifest, that he will glorify himself and have the final word, but we will be glorified with him. Think of that. What does that even mean? That God's glory and fame will go out to all of his creation. Finally, everything and everyone will see God for who he is. And they will see God's glory in us. Romans, and it's sure, Romans 8, 29, 30 says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Those who God loved beforehand in eternity past will be conformed in order that they might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now listen to this verse, it's a chain. In those whom he predestined, he called. In those whom he called, he justified. That means declared not guilty. In those whom he justified, he also glorified. There is a link because God has called us in past. He's called us in the present. He's calling us to a future. It will come to fruition one day. What do we do with this? How do we live our day-to-day with this truth? I mean, it's easy to come in on a Sunday, have a preacher preach this, but then go out the rest of the week and bite our nails and fear as if everything is lost. As if now we're on our own and have to fight our own battles. As if the suffering that we're in right now will one day never go away. We will have to come to a resolution. No, God will be glorified. And we will be glorified in him. Our struggles, therefore, must be viewed in the light of our eternity with Christ, with the future blessing in view. Christianity is a decidedly eschatological faith. What does that mean? The word eschaton is the Greek word that means the end. So when we talk about eschatological, we're talking about things pertaining to the end times. Now, we often talk about things and we get this creepy feeling. You know, there's movies made about it. There's a, and it throws us off our square as we wonder what's going to happen, how it's going to be. We read the book of Revelation and we see the tremendous suffering that comes upon the earth. We see God's justice being poured out upon the inhabitants. We see terrifying visions of what the consequence of our sin and rebellion look like. But if you go through the pages of the scripture and look for the blessing that's pointed to, the promise of eternity, it so far outweighs all of that other talk 
In other words, we choose to see the scary parts and choose to not see the promises that God declares will be ours and manifest because of what Christ has done for us. Read, the, read Paul's letters. You read the New Testament. It's all about in the end time, in that day, in the last day. Everything will be made right. Read the Old Testament. In the day of the Lord, when the Lord comes, all of the... That is our hope. That is our blessed hope. That Christ will return and usher in that day where everything will be made new. That everything will be made right. No more crying, tears, pain, suffering, nothing. We are living in bliss before the God who created us in the way it was intended to be. Eden. We look to the future. We spend way too much time seeking out still future promised blessings now. We want to find every possible way that we can find comfort and blessing here. And when we don't have it, we grow resentments against the people around us, against God for not giving it, or we turn it inward and say, it must be something wrong with me. God's telling you, don't give up. Because of what he's done in the past, that dimension, because Christ died, we have a future. But remember that future is future. Keep your mind there. Focus on the blessing that will come. Many of you know I participate in recovery, and one of the recovery norms of recovery is the serenity prayer. It's actually written by a man named Reinhold Niebuhr. Reinhold Niebuhr is actually someone who attended Elmer's College. He was a professor there. There's actually Niebuhr Hall or something over there, right? So he's a, what'd you call that? He's from here. He's from here. What'd you say? He's a local. We'll say it like that. He's a local. All right. This is how it goes. I'm sure you've heard it. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference, right? Okay, wrong. That's the first sentence of a much longer prayer that has been cut to eliminate, guess what, all the Christian reference from it, okay? So if you're just reading that first part and reciting that first part without a recognition that there's a second half, you're gonna really miss out on some of the good stuff, okay? So what does it say? Let me say it again. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as the pathway to peace, taking as he did, that is Christ, the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever and ever in the next. Amen. Sounds like the second half. That's the, real, that's the real meat right there. You see, the problem is, is we seek to be beyond reasonably happy here. There's always going to be bitter in the sweet. There's always going to be a fly in the ointment. There's always going to be a dissonant note. There's always going to be a wrong scripture on the screen. There's always going to be a slide that was advanced too quickly, too slowly. There's always going to be that person behind you who sings terribly, but we trust that God cleans it up on the way up. There's always going to be, not me, you guys did great, not me. There's always going to be suffering. So what do we do with that truth? Do we run? Do we escape? 
Or do we embrace it, recognizing that God is using it as a sacrament in our lives to transform us, to conform us into the image of Christ? Paul said, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. You talk about people who are in concentration camps. You talk about Christians who are right in this moment being beaten for what they believe. How do they endure? How do they not reject Christ? They know what is theirs in the future. They know what God has promised us because of what Christ has done in the past. They just don't grin and bear it and hope that it gets better. No, it's impossible. They look to Christ. Suffering, as hard as it is, is not comparable to the glory that we will experience in heaven in that day. In many ways, we look at life as this is the end-all, be-all. What if life is just childbirth? What if life is just the, the labor pains of the life that we've intended to have been living in? What if all of this struggle and pain and crying is actually to bore, to, how would I say that? To bear us into the life that has always been ours, that's been promised to us in Christ. When we see mothers deliver, the joy. After all of the trauma, the joy that comes, almost unstoppably. What if that's our promise of glory? The third dimension focuses on the present. The present dimension of biblical hope is actually our suffering. Well, what does that mean? Listen to what Paul says. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. Really? Rejoice? We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope will not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, we are not hopeless in our suffering. In fact, our suffering is evidence that we have hope. God is still in control. God still loves us. Suffering is not a sign that we are not experiencing God's blessing. How many of you said that? Lord, why are you doing this to me? What have I done? Many times we're doing everything right. And in fact, the reason we're suffering is because we have done it right. We've done it right. We're living the life that Christ has called us to live. And that brings suffering in it that God uses to change us. No doubt that we can suffer and bring suffering upon us ourselves through poor choices, consequences. But even in those, when we're looking to Christ and we're looking to what God is doing in our life through him, we can find redemption and growth. Because it's true, when we're in Christ, when we're trusting Christ, God opens the floodgates of blessing. And this is true even in our suffering. God is either blessing us as a result of Christ and flourishing our lives, prospering us, or we're off track in left field, and he's blessing us through the discipline that he's doing to bring us back. It's all good. It's all good. Suffering, when viewed from an eternal perspective, are opportunities for growth. It's what they're intended to be. It's like working out. It hurts in the moment, but we get stronger in the end. But we can short-circuit these moments by focusing on other things, escaping the pain, trying to find a way to have our cake and eat it too, as it were. 
I want to do the right thing. I want to have all the pleasure. I don't want to have any of the consequences. So I'm going to try to manipulate my world around me in order to do that. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For this light momentary affliction, they're in persecution right now, is preparing us for eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We're being prepared here by our suffering. So what does that mean? Do we run to it? Are we Christian sadists? Is there such a thing? Do we try to find ways in order to make it hurt? Of course not. Suffering will find us no matter what. We needn't go look for anything. We don't rejoice because of our sufferings. We rejoice amid our sufferings. And so we can stay positive and faith-filled no matter how hard things get. Now, many of you, like I'm sure I and I have seen them, people who just are in circumstances that are so dire on their deathbed. Yet when you talk to them, they're beacons of hope and joy. How is that? You have people who are struggling with familial issues and kids who are wayward and husbands or wives who are off and things going on, things, financial troubles, yet there's a peace. Why? Because they're viewing their struggles now through the eyes of the cross and through the future promise of what God's blessing will be. And so they realize their suffering now is only but for a moment. Suffering, therefore, is a necessity, so you might as well get used to it. Romans 8 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Our suffering is a prerequisite for the glory that we will experience in heaven. Finally, the final dimension is a timeless one. We looked at the past, we looked at the future, we looked at the present. This one goes through them all. God's love. God's love. Paul says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love is a gift of pure grace that makes it irrevocable. God loved us and lavishes that love upon us. Every dimension of biblical hope is motivated by God's love. Christ went to the cross enduring pain and death at the hand of sinners for the joy set before him, for the love of you. You. He hang and bled for you. Our present experience, the suffering we endure, we know that that's not a mark of God's apathy towards us, but God's love conforming us and transforming us and calling us into a life of obedience, all out of love. In that future day when we stand glorified in him before the throne and we see what really happened here, because we don't really know what's happening here. One day we're going to see what really happened here. And God's love is going to be exalted and God's glory will be known to all and we will see you were right. You are love. You are justice. Therefore, God's love is, can be the reason for our suffering, not just a consolation in it. God has given us his Holy Spirit as the resource, the all-sufficient resource to endure suffering in the face of it. But we have a choice. We have the choice to embrace that to look to Christ and utilize that? Or we have the choice to try to go our own way. 
Now, we got started late. I have more. But I'm going to drop them fast. So James Ford Jr. said, I'm going to drop them, not push them. Okay? So I'm going to drop these and not push these. So if you're taking notes, you're going to have to write fast. All right. So what are some strategies for growing in biblical holiness? Hope, biblical hope. First, surround yourself with God's promises. Do whatever you can to get God's promises in front of you because in them reside the truth. The truth of the cross, the truth of your present, the truth of your future. Surround yourself in them. Read the word more. Put reminders. I have friends who have sticky notes in every portion of their mirror except the place where they have to put their face. Find ways. Set alarms on your phone. Write things on the calendar. Hey, tells, hey, can you remind me tomorrow that Jesus loves me? Yep. Surround yourself with the promises of God. Go to your go-to passages that God has given you and said, hey, you know when you read this and you feel that thing? That's me. Read it more. It was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. That's mine. Psalm 119, 71. My suffering was not for nothing. Surround yourself with God's promises. Worship without ceasing. Remember, Paul in 1 Thessalonians says, pray without ceasing. I think a better understanding of what he's saying there is to worship. Your life is a prayer poured out to God. More than just your devotional time, although that's important, this is a constant attitude of God consciousness. My life is his. I live here to reflect him. What am I doing? Lord, what do you want me to do today? Worship with others. Pray with others constantly. When you're here and someone says what's going on in their life and you say, I'm going to pray for you, eh, don't do that. And if I do it, call me out. It should be, let's pray. Right now, let's pray. Personal worship, singing. Uh, Amy was talking about the VBS songs. Was it last year or a couple years ago? There was a couple of songs that we, that we did in VBS. I was here for the week. I cannot for like a month. That was the, I would wake up to it in my head. I'd fall asleep to it in my head. There's something about music that God has blessed us with. Avoid isolation. Super easy. Things are hard. We want to go away. We want to get little because we want to lick our wounds and wallow in it. This can be geographical where we try to actually physically remove ourselves from people. Or we can emotionally isolate ourselves. You know those commercials where the person has depression, they got like the smiley face on the little thing, but they're really sad in the background you know what I'm talking about, right? At first I was like, those are weird. They're kind of creepy, but you know what? It's the truth. We can walk around by putting on a mask because we do it every Sunday, amen? Yeah, I know, amen? We put on a mask in order to hide what's really going on in the inside because we've isolated ourselves from the people around us who God has placed in our life to give us hope and point to the truth. And Satan loves to separate us. Now, isolation is not the same as solitude. There are times we need to get alone with God. Four. This could be a whole series, what I'm about to say right now. Address past traumas. Address past traumas. Traumas become the filter through which we see everything Every input that comes into our life is filtered through the lies that a trauma creates. Traumas affect our mind, soul, and body, and ignoring them does not make them go away. They do not heal over time. They have to be addressed. God's been calling some of you for years, decades, to rip a Band-Aid off of something, to lance a boil that's been slowly festering. Today is the day. 
If you want help with that, come to me, I can help. When in crisis mode, our resources are garnered at defending ourselves, and it's very difficult to stay hopeful in that. Trauma creates a crisis thing in our body where we end up trying to fight that as sort of a survival mode. We can't get to the places that are actually causing the problem. And the ground for past trauma is very, very often the battlefield for spiritual warfare. Cultivate gratitude intentionally. It's not just going to happen. Make a gratitude list. Set times to pause and reflect about your life. Keep a journal that says, I prayed about this. This is how God answered. I tell this story. I was in youth group a couple years ago. I gave the charge to write a gratitude list. They all hemmed and hawed. No one wanted to do it because they asked, how many should I write? I said, 50. They said, 50. My goodness, how can you have 50 grateful things, things you're grateful for? So they left. I said, next week, I'm going to check on it. So bring them. I want to know. That Sunday, just a few days later, one of the people from the youth group came up, said so excitedly, I wrote a gratitude list. Oh, that's fantastic. They said, once I started, it was like I couldn't even stop. It just started to happen. I said, so how many did you end up with? She's like, 365. (laughs) I said, well, let's see them. These were not necessarily weightless things. These were, there's meaning here. 365 a thing for every day. Tell people that you're grateful. Say it. There's something about it coming out here and going in here that does something to change in here. Express gratitude for others and who God has made them. When was the last time you prayed for someone in your life? With them. And the prayer sounded like, Lord, I thank you for this person and for who you are making them to be, for the heart that they have, and for the blessing that they've been to me. Amen. Finally, spurn the easier, softer way. If it's hard, it's probably good for you. If it's painful, it's probably the direction you're supposed to be going. This is another way of saying Avoid escapism. I have a tough conversation I need to have with someone. I'll just ignore it. I'll tell them next week. I feel anxiety about what's going on right now. Two, three, 30 beers will make it better. I was the 30 guy. There are ways in your life that you're trying to short circuit the suffering that God is allowing to happen in your life that he wants to use to make you more like Jesus, yet you're seeking ways to not let it land exactly where it's supposed to land. Because it hurts. But we can trust our God. We can trust Jesus, that he's doing this so that we will stand one day in the weight of his glory. So the past dimension of biblical hope is the cross. The second dimension, the future dimension of biblical hope is God's glory, our future. The third dimension of biblical hope is our present suffering, a sign of God's love for us. And the fourth dimension is God's love, the filter through which everything is passed through. So when our struggles are viewed through these dimensions, we can have confidence that our, our, our circumstances, our difficulties can be a source of growth and holiness. And then we will become partakers of the sacrament of suffering.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you, Lord, and are humbled and in awe for what Christ has done for us on the cross. there's, There's nothing we can do to repay. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. And Lord, because, because Christ chose to take the cross in our stead out of his great love, we have access to you in boldness we can have in entering before your throne. We thank you, Lord, for our justification. We thank you for the faith that you're working within us. We thank you for the peace that you've given us with you through your son who died in our stead. We pray, Lord, that you would give us the eyes to see our sufferings, that we would rejoice in the hope of glory, even in the face of our sufferings. Lord, may we know and may you teach us that our suffering is producing endurance and our endurance is producing character. And our character is producing hope, that confident expectation, Lord, that one day we will stand before you not in shame. Because of what Christ has done. We thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit that you've given to us, that you've poured into our hearts. A love that would not have been there without it. We ask, Lord, that you would give us the grace, the eyes, the ability, empower us to live this week and the weeks to come, infect our whole lives, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, in our suffering. Make us courageous to address it. And help us look to you, knowing that you are changing us through it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor Adam here. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media at GBCL. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbclm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.